Hello and welcome to the ISBA BursaCast podcast. This episode has been recorded and released on the 19th of May, 2023. Plenty to get through in today's episode, and we're also going to be hearing from Oliver Daniels of Harrison Clark Rickaby to go over a few of the topics in today's bulletin. To kick things off, of course, it is that it is the absolute last chance to book for the ISBA's annual conference next week. So please, if you're umming and ahhing, pull the trigger, go do it, sign up on our website. To follow up this exciting news with some other exciting news, the ISBA will soon be launching a new inspection app for member schools. The app will allow schools to keep all of their documents in one place with a diary management system that keeps your documents in date with a 60-day alert to members of the school's staff. The app will provide an e-vault store to accommodate these documents that the ISI will adopt as part of the inspection regime for the 2023 and on inspections. It will allow the ISBA to alert member schools to changes that they need to make to their inspection documentation. For more information about the app, please head to our website, or if you're coming to the conference, chat to a member of our team, and we'll let you know more about it. On to some more serious news. We are talking about the political actions on VAT policy, and this is a message from the ISC. The ISC and associations are working at a national level to engage with the Labour VAT slash charitable tax policy, and schools have an important role to play as local advocates. The ISC is speaking to political parties, education groups and unions, making them aware of the unintended consequences of the policy and the hugely positive role independent schools play in UK education. The ISC asks all schools to get in contact with their local MPs and councillors, making them aware of your concerns about Labour's tax proposals and its likely impact on your parents, local state schooling and your school operations. If your local councillors changed last week, this is a great opportunity to write to new councillors, introducing your school, offering a visit and developing a dialogue that raises awareness. On to more political updates, Lord Hunt of King's Heath has asked a number of written questions regarding the teachers' pension scheme, particularly why independent schools are able to access it, and if the government have made any assessment of the advantages to ending independent schools' access to the scheme. In both cases, answers are expected from the government shortly. On the 9th of May, 2023, in a Westminster Hall debate on school and college funding in the Midlands, Shadow Minister for Apprentices and Lifelong Learning Toby Perkins repeated Labour's proposal to charge VAT on parents' fees and remove charitable tax benefits, saying, The Honourable Gentleman asked about additional funding for school teachers. Removing the tax perk on private schools would actually fund an extra 6,500 school teachers. This was challenged by Jonathan Gullis, Conservative for Stoke-on-Trent North, who asked, Can the Honourable Gentleman say what specifically Labour would do with the money it raised? that is not already being done. The Shadow Minister clarified that it is not that if there were simply a little bit more money and we had these extra teachers, everything would be resolved. The entire approach that this government has taken to schools has led to a massive decrease in morale that has meant lots of teachers are leaving the profession. Talking of money, there has been an update from the Charity Commission regarding the guidance on internal financial controls. In April 2023, the Charity Commission refreshed its guidance on internal financial controls, which has not been updated since July 2012. The refreshed guidance covers several areas which either did not exist 
or were not in widespread use in 2012. For example, there is guidance on the use of mobile payment systems such as Google Pay and Apple Pay, and additionally guidance on the use of crypto assets, cryptocurrency, and non-fungible tokens or NFTs. Secondly, there are updates to a number of existing areas and a refreshed checklist which charities can use to benchmark their own systems and processes. Moving on from this to a different topic, and that is that the Equality and Human Rights Commission is currently monitoring the impact of its guidance on preventing hair discrimination. The guidance was launched in October 2022. The EHRC would like to invite education providers to complete the confidential short survey to help inform its monitoring and evaluation plan. The survey will open on the 16th of June 2023. Moving on again to the DfE update on school action plan guidance. On the 25th of April 2023, the DfE published the updated Independent School Action Plans guidance. Independent schools may need to produce an action plan if they are found to be failing the independent school standards or the early years foundation stage. The purpose of an action plan is to outline specific actions to address the failed standards, including the steps to be taken and the timeline for implementation. The updated guidance suggests that schools should consider seeking support from external organisations, such as staff from other schools within a shared proprietor group, peers from other schools, independent consultants, and relevant member organisations like the Independent Schools Council and other representative bodies. Recently, there has been an increase in schools failing ISI inspections and being required to submit action plans. However, the ISI has published a new inspection framework and an updated commentary on regulatory requirements, which will come into effect from September 2023. It is important for schools to familiarise themselves with the new inspection framework and be aware of the available guidance for developing action plans in case of failure to meet the ISS. Schools will receive separate updates on the key changes to the inspection framework. The next update following this is the independent review of RSHE in schools, which stands for Relationship Sex and Health Education Lessons. The Prime Minister and Education Secretary have called for the Department for Education to carry out an independent review of sex education in schools which will be led by an independent panel of experts. It is a result of allegations that children are being taught graphic and inappropriate content during their RSHE lessons. The current guidance covers information on what schools should do and the legal duties that schools must comply with when teaching RSHE in line with keeping children safe in education and the Equality Act. The purpose of this review and the overall aim is that pupils will leave school fully equipped to make informed decisions about their own individual health, well-being and relationships, with this knowledge and understanding being provided to them at an appropriate time during their education and in a suitably sensitive way. To answer the question of what's been done so far, the government has recently written to schools reminding them that they have a legal duty to publish their policies on RSHE and that they must consult with parents on the subject. There is also an obligation to provide parents with all of the teaching materials being used as part of the curriculum. Looking forward as to what happens next, in the coming weeks an independent panel will be appointed and will include external expertise and input from children's development, curriculum, health and safeguarding perspectives. The review is to be concluded by the end of this year. Harrison Clark Rickabees recommend that schools continue to follow the current guidance and will provide an update once the review is concluded and published. 
Moving on, I wanted to let you know about the Partnerships Workbook. And this is a comprehensive guide to independent state school partnerships and contains more than 100 pages of expert support, whatever your starting point, aims, location or resources. The resource helps heads, bursars and partnership leads to develop partnerships which meet the needs of the whole community and demonstrate mutual benefit, align with whole school strategy and measure and report on impact. Julie Robinson, the CEO of the ISC, says there is an enormous amount of goodwill in independent schools around developing partnership programmes with state schools, but good intentions are not enough to ensure successful, meaningful projects. Getting partnerships right requires local understanding, strategy, careful thought and preparation. In this workbook, Christina Astin shares her experience and expertise so that any partnership lead can have a head start in getting partnerships right. Christina outlines practical steps that will help independent schools develop sustainable and effective partnerships, a must-read for all those seeking closer relationships with state schools. The workbook launches on the 5th of June and ISBA member schools will be able to use the code ISBA20 for a 20% discount code off the purchase price of 139 of your British pounds. Members might also be interested in registering for a free webinar which Christina is leading on the 7th of June at 4.30pm. In case you haven't heard of her before, the author, Christina Astin, is a prominent thought leader, consultant and trainer on cross-sector partnerships and hosts the hashtag PartnerChat Network. Now before we hear from Oliver Daniels, who's going to take us through some of the other updates, I'm just going to let you know that the Employment Appeal Tribunal confirmed that the Treasury directions of the Coronavirus Job Retention Scheme did not have contractual or statutory effect. In the case of Monez versus Lisa Franklin Limited, the claimant, Miss Monez, was furloughed due to the COVID-19 pandemic. Her employer provided her with a letter outlining her furlough pay, which differed from the calculation method specified in the Treasury directions. Miss Monez filed an unlawful deduction from wages claim which was rejected by the Employment Tribunal and subsequently appealed to the EAT. The EAT upheld the rejection, stating that the Treasury directions did not impose obligations on employers and that the amount of furlough pay should be agreed upon by the parties involved. However, the EAT noted that the outcome might have been different if there was no explicit agreement between Ms Moniz and her employer regarding pay arrangements during furlough. The case emphasises the importance of employers maintaining accurate furlough pay records, which may be requested by HMRC for up to six years and for annual audits. With all of those announcements out of the way, we're going to be joined by Oliver Daniels, who's going to take us through some of the meteor topics from this week. And here to help us navigate the quagmire of guidance that the ISBA gets through is, of course, the wonderful Oliver Daniels. Oliver, thanks for being here. Hello there, my pleasure. Today, we're going to dive into two topics to have your expertise. The first of which is to do with the Equality Act of 2010 and the new guidance surrounding this. What are the details of this one? Yeah, so uh, ACAS produced some new guidance on reasonable adjustments for mental health. And this is guidance for employers setting out best practice in terms of how to deal with the question of reasonable adjustments, specifically in relation to staff who might be suffering. Okay, sure. And what are some of the examples of the adjustments that 
might be appropriate for individuals with mental health conditions according to the guidance? Well, the guidance states that the reasonable adjustments could include the employer making changes to the working arrangements or the environment, uh, adapting how they implement policies or provide equipment to staff, setting out additional services or support that the individual might need. Uh, I think schools should be clear that the type of adjustment implemented in each case will be unique to that individual. It will always depend on the circumstances. And what's reasonable for one case might not be reasonable for another. Um, so it is important to look at each individual case based on its particular circumstances. Find key factors in terms of what is a reasonable adjustment to make in those circumstances. Okay, sure. I mean, what's your advice for how should independent schools prepare for a meeting to discuss these adjustments with an employee who has a mental health condition, according to the ACAS guidance? Well, this is, this is something that's picked up in the ACAS guidance. So when they, they set out, when you're preparing for a meeting like this, um, they recommend that an employer should consider its internal policies in relation to mental health, absence or, or reasonable adjustment. They should make an effort to reflect on the position and feelings of the employee. And then in terms of the meeting itself and what that should involve, the ACAS guidance recommends that it's checking in on the employee, discussing any relevant policies the employer may have, asking the employee what reasonable adjustments they would like to explore, and also, if you can, agreeing a strategy for a way forward in terms of adjustments you might like to buy, you can agree to then, or it will take away and consider recommends further that if any reasonable adjustments are agreed at the meeting then they should be followed up in writing so yeah on the topic of writing is it necessary for schools to have a written policy on this uh, and if so what should be included well it's not strictly necessary so there's no legal requirement to have a written policy on reasonable adjustments um, if a school doesn't have a policy then the acas guidance simply says that the law should be followed. However, if a school does have a written policy in place or is considering implementing one, then it should be reviewed in the light of this ACAS guidance to make sure that it suitably deals with mental health conditions. Within the guidance, ACAS set out a list of features that a policy on reasonable adjustments specific to mental health should have. And those include being clear, accessible, using language, demonstrates care. It also suggests that any policy should be easy for employees to locate and understand and implement it consistently by manager. So all best practice steps that schools should be taking in respect of their policies. Okay, sure. And where can schools find additional resources to, to help put into place these reasonable adjustments? Well, ACAS have produced template letters um, a lot that sit alongside guidance, which are available on their website. Um, of course, uh, schools, uh, I would say, should always approach their lawyers to discuss the issue of reasonable adjustments because it can be a thorny legal issue and it's always worth taking, taking advice on the circumstances. And of course, ISBA as well. We, we update the, the ISBA staff handbook annually. That includes relevant 
policies and procedures relating to well-being at work, equal opportunities, boots reference to reasonable adjustments. So that, again, is a, is a really valuable resource for schools. Okay, fantastic. And moving on from this to another similar topic, which is that of the Worker Protection Bill. And this has been updated. And how could it perhaps impact independent schools in the UK? Well, it's a, it's a bill that is arguably one of the most notable changes in workplace discrimination law since the Equality Act in 2010. Um, schools will be aware that the Equality Act already protects employees from harassment from their colleagues and employer. What it doesn't do currently is protect staff against harassment from third parties. And the Worker Protection Bill seeks to remedy this by imposing a new proactive duty on employers to take all reasonable steps to prevent the harassment of its employees by third parties. And it also applies compensation uplift um, in respect of employers where they fail to do so. And a successful And it applies to all forms of unlawful harassment, including racial harassment, offensive conduct based on gender, age, or disability. And there's also a separate, specific new duty for employers to take all reasonable steps to prevent sexual harassment in the course of an employee's employment. And that's going to be supported by a new statutory code of practice on workplace harassment that's going to be produced by the Equality Human Rights Commission. So it's certainly something that independent schools as employers need to be aware of. Yeah, absolutely. And how will the enforcement of the duty to take reasonable steps be handled? Uh, and what potential financial uh, implications could schools face if they're found to have breached this duty? Well, any standalone complaints about an employer's duty to take reasonable steps would be a matter for the Equality and Human Rights Commission. It wouldn't technically fall within the jurisdiction of the Employment Tribunal. Um, but the Employment Tribunal will be able to consider individual claims for a breach of the duty where there's been a successful sexual harassment or other harassment claim in, in the court. And compensation for harassment is uncapped. Um, awards vary depending on the losses suffered by payment and the severity of the what's called injury to feelings. What's interesting from the bill and new from the bill is the possibility of an uplift in any compensation awarded of up to 25%, where in the view of the employment tribunal, the employer has failed to comply with its duty to take reasonable steps to prevent that harassment. Okay, sure. And what policies and procedures should schools review and update in light of the new law? And how can they best provide training and support to staff in identifying and addressing acts of harassment? Well, in due course, schools will need to consider reviewing and updating relevant policies in line with the new law. That's going to include policies like your equal opportunities policy, anti-harassment and bullying policy, for example. And schools should also be thinking about putting in place specific training for staff including on how to identify acts of harassment and guidance on the support that's available for victims. And that will assist in embedding those key policies. Okay, well, and when is this bill expected to come into force? 
Well, we understand that the bill's unlikely to come into force until next year at the earliest. Um, however, it's likely it will come into force, and um, schools should consider taking action now in preparation for these changes. And that might include, for example, we've talked about reviewing relevant policies, putting in place specific training for staff, establishing reporting lines so staff feel confident to report cases of harassment, and of course dealing with any complaints of harassment promptly. So I think it's, it's worth being proactive about this so that you can embed that culture. You can be ready with that, uh, having taken those reasonable steps to demonstrate that you're compliant with these new requirements. And that's both in terms of protecting your employees against harassment, but also protecting the school in the context of any potential litigation. Sure. And in what roles within a school are employees more likely to encounter third parties and what arrangements can schools consider implementing to reduce the risk of harassment in those areas? As you'd expect, this, this new law is going to be of most relevance to those roles within schools that are public-facing, that have an element of interaction with third parties. So that will inevitably include teaching staff, a head teacher, staff that or on the reception, for example, answering phones, dealing with visitors to school, and other public-facing roles. So in addition to updating policies and procedures and raising awareness internally, there are several things that schools and employers generally think about doing to mitigate the risk of harassment. That could be, for example, thinking about putting signage up in, in public areas, for example, reception, that makes it clear that the harassment of staff won't be tolerated, could be creating or updating reporting registers for complaints about all forms of harassment. And I think overall, carrying out an assessment of the various types of role within school that will have some element of interaction with third parties and understanding risks around that. Um, is, is a sensible and useful exercise for schools to go through in anticipation of this new law coming forward. Okay, wow. So th- thank you very much for, for all of that. Uh, and then before you go, I've got a bonus question for you that is completely unrelated. But uh, if you had to take part in a doubles Wimbledon tournament, who would you want as your partner? Oh, that's, that's an interesting question. Um, I think I would go for I'd go for someone like Andre Agassi. This is a bit retro because I always had Andre okay. Agassi when I was growing up watching Wimbledon and being amazed by the extent to which he could basically get anywhere on the court um, in super quick time. So it basically mean that I'd have to do fairly limited heavy lifting in terms of the work. So I think I would go I would have Agassi. Well, there you go. A, a well thought out answer that ensures you can have a relaxing time. <laughs> Superb. Thanks, Oliver. I'll, I'll let you jump off, but thank you so much for taking the time. It's really great to have you come and ha- help make all this make sense. Not a problem at all. And thank you very much, Oliver, again, for taking the time to come and chat us through all of those things. I'm going to apologise profusely for the audio quality of that segment. There were some technical difficulties. But looking forward now we have a very exciting week ahead with the conference kicking off on tuesday so for those of you attending i very much look forward to seeing you there 
And in the meantime, have a lovely weekend and be good to each other. Farewell. Farewell.